I want to do a shout out to one of our amazing partners, Banzoogle. Now, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a stunning website for artists. Now, I have personally have used web builders for years. In fact, the 8020 Records website is maintained by yours truly. But honestly, these days, as someone who represents artists, I just want something straightforward that still looks amazing and works with everything that we use, such as Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Bands of Town, Printful, and so forth. And Banzoogle checks off all of these. Also, for those of you who have no idea how to build websites, don't worry, they make it super easy there too. You do not need to know a single line of code. In fact, after you sign up, they go step-by-step step through each part of the process to get you up and running. Plus, their pricing is practically the same as if you paid for a web host. So really, it's a no-brainer. Lastly, and most importantly, what I love about Banzoogle is the people. Every single person I've spoken to has been nothing but kind and extremely responsive and helpful. They truly care about the artists that use their platform. And honestly, don't just take my word for it. Go listen to my interview with Stacy Bedford, the CEO of the company. Banzoogle is also offering to all our listeners 15% off the first year of any subscription. Just enter the promo code 8020show or 8020show, like the numbers, on banzoogle.com. I'll also put it in the description. Built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle. You're listening to The 8020 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Hello and welcome everybody to The 8020 Show. I am your wonderful host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is Jordan Verzar from Top Shelf. Jordan has a long history of managing artists such as Amanda Palmer and curating events such as the Graphic Festival at the Sydney Opera House. We deep dive into creating meaningful relationships with others in the music industry, as well as the right attitude to have while producing events. Jordan is truly an inspiration, and in this interview, I admired so much about his passion for the culture he surrounded himself in and something that he really does support. It is my absolute honor to give you Jordan Verzar. Hey, Jordan, how's it going? Doing great. Thanks. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. A pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. So I usually like to uh, talk about ahead of time how I met uh, the guests on the 8020 show. And for us, it was really that I was re reaching out to you because I was looking for other guests and some of the artists that you represent. And I figured, why not just have you on the podcast too? Because we interview managers, we interview everyone. And I, I saw your bio and you have such a amazing background on what you've accomplished. And so... You know, that just goes to show you that I just reached out to you and you were kind enough to not only just respond, but then also were willing to spend your time being on the show. So really do appreciate it. But I always try to talk about these things because, as you know, especially in the music industry, if you don't ask for things, nothing's going to happen for you. Yeah, it's uh, the, the, there's a lot of asking going on. That's for sure. Um, I guess, you know, for me, it's a split screen between the asking and the managing and dealing with all the stuff that comes in. 
Oh yeah, we'll definitely talk about that because handling incoming for artists, it's, it's, its own skill set is is trying to maintain that and making sure that because it's like you're literally drinking from a fire hose because you're just getting so much from you know from so many people about inc inc inquisitions. It's like okay, well, how do I go through all these and these various different inquiries? and filter out which ones are relevant which ones are not relevant right now which ones are going to table for the future which ones are going to just be a hard no <laughs> you know it's a lot to deal with totally so uh, let me ask you this How, are you first of all are you mus a musician yourself um i am not a practicing musician as at the moment no um i think in, uh i mean i've always loved music and i did play music when i was in my teens um intensely for about a year and a half um but that kind of got usurped by the busyness of uh of 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 working in the music industry i guess and it's not something that i've just really picked up again so then what then landed you into the music industry well it was a very natural progression like so many things in my life have been um basically I've been dabbling in the music biz since school, you know, like I had, well, since finishing school. So a whole bunch of my best friends from school, once we finished school, were in a band and they were like, you're going to be the manager. And I'm like, am I really? And they're like, yep. And I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, why do you want me to be the manager? And they said, because you're good at talking people into stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. All right. You're my friends. I'll do my best. And here I am 27 years later, you know, <laughs> oh, congratulations. That's a mate. That's a huge milestone. Yeah, it is pretty nuts. Yeah. So it was just a very, very natural progression of, of, of everything. You know, I haven't really ever had much of a business plan for my own business whatsoever. Really. It's just been I've been very lucky to be able to work with artists that I love and to be involved with projects that I love and to have a good knack and good luck with envisaging things that I want to happen and dreaming them into existence. So was Top Shelf then formed back then or did you work for other people leading up to Top Shelf? Yeah, good question. So when I was first starting out, um, I was managing this band never recorded a cd um we had demo tapes okay and, yes. <laughs> progress <laughs> yes and um you know i i'm just in case you're coming in cold into this podcast i'm based in sydney australia and have been for quite some time so um you know at the very beginning i was trying to book and manage the group that i was managing and i was getting lots of requests inquiries from other bands that were kind of in the same scene that we were running around with and um i couldn't really make ends meet you know i was renting a house and couldn't really pay rent just on my commission of nothing so um so i was doing some really dodgy uh what do you call it um telemarketing and um i have this fish tie it's rainbow trout and uh, at this at this uh telemarketing company i wore this rainbow trout fish tie to work one day and got fired for wearing that tie and it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because from then i was like i'm going to be serious about this thing and i just put everything behind it 
one thing led to another. Like there was a venue in Sydney called the Harborside Brassery, which was on the harbor. And the night that I got fired from my telemarketing job, I was hanging out there because I booked lots of shows there. And the owner was like, oh, so you got fired from your day job. What are you going to do now? And I'm like, ah, I'm just going to throw everything I've got at this music thing. And he's like, ah, okay. And then the next day he called me up and he was like, let's start a business together. Why don't you help me book this venue? There's tons of amazing artists around that you've brought me and that are staples of this venue that don't have representation. Let's start a booking agency. And I said, done, let's do it. Um, and so that was that was like the the first paid gig that I got after I don't know how long it was, maybe three or four years, things um, you know, I wanted to go and um yeah, I guess we'll get to that, but basically I wanted to go and do my own thing. I wanted to do instead I, I was I think I was just the the booking agency grew very quickly um because I wasn't really interested in rock or pop. And in Sydney at that time, everything was ruled by pop music and indie rock, um, indie pop. And that wasn't where I was coming from. Um, and I think that because of that, there was there was a, a gap in the market that was unintentionally filled by the booking agency back then, which was called Red Square, because we were looking after, you know, post-jazz, post-classical post-world, you know, like hardcore musicians who are, you know, a lot of musicians who have gone through conservatoriums of music, highly classically trained, then, you know, they wanted to branch out and, you know, they discovered, you know, dance parties and, you know, electronic music. And then, you know, that spurned a whole new wave of music. And I was working with all of those bands. So, um, yeah, things got very busy very quickly. One of the groups that I was booking, I ended up managing um, just due to, uh, this has kind of almost been the way for most of the groups that I, I have ended up managing. I've literally never actually gone out and asked anyone to be their manager. It's been a natural progression of just working with them and helping them and them calling me their manager or requesting for me to be their manager. Um, but because of that with a, a the first popular group that I was managing who are a string quartet called foreplay. Um, they kind of exploded. And at that stage of the game, after their explosion, I was like, I can't manage this band that's exploding and be booking gigs all around Australia. And um, then I left and did my own thing. And thus top shelf was born. Wow. And that must've been pretty scary too, because I know you're taking a lot of risk when it comes to managing artists. So even with booking, at least with booking, there's some sort of consistency with with booking artists. But then to go to essentially putting all your eggs in one basket for this one artist to build off the company that that must have been, you know, that's that's definitely quite a bit of a risk. It was a bit of a risk, but it was very calculated risk. I mean, I was a bit nervous about it. Like I borrowed fifteen thousand dollars from my dad. And, um, you know, I pay, I, I, I never, I, I, I never used it, you know, like I gave it back to him in three months and it, everything just kind of kept going. Um, so yeah, there was, I think with hindsight, I had wanted to kind of strike out on my own and forge my own path, uh, for quite some time before I actually did it, but it was the nerves and the worry about, you know, getting into financial strife that stopped me from doing it. And it, you're right. It did, it, it takes 
a lot of guts and to, to leap out into the unknown sometimes. So managing artists, we can definitely talk quite a bit about this because I agree. The same thing with me is that most of the artists I work with are usually natural progressions. Either they've worked with me in the past as an intern, or we just done other things together. We just, you know, we just find that there's really good chemistry. And I think that to me is the most important aspect because when you are management, honestly, you are probably your responsibility is probably the most intimate uh, relationship you can have on a business level with somebody because you, they're literally representing their careers. Well, a hundred percent, man. And you know, it's like, it's, it goes even beyond that for some of the things that I do. It's, it's, it's family, you know, like a lot of the people that I work with, I have been working with for 15 years, 20 years in some instances. Um, and I do, this is the thing that drives me, you know, it's like, these people are my family. Um, and it's a business relationship. It's a friendship, but in some instances, I'm, you know, I'm actually representing a culture and helping extend the stories and the languages and the traditions of the cultures I work within. And that is, that goes beyond business, you know? Um, and, you know, with, with other artists, there's, they, I, I don't work with, like I said before, there's not a lot of just straight out rock and pop music. I tend to work with artists who have a mission, a calling, and, you know, I need to preserve the integrity of what they do, amplify it, guard it, and shepherd it into reality as best that I can. And that is the type of thing that keeps me going late at night and up early in the morning. That's really incredible. Uh, I give you a lot of credit for that because, you know, having that kind of purpose is is everything, especially, especially in, if you're going to into music, you, you, it's for a very specific reason. Like you are passionate about music and to find your passion, to find your calling, you know, that's everything. Really? I feel very lucky to have been able to have identified that fairly early in life and to have that be something that I can continue with. And, you know, and also to have a career where the work and the collaborations that I do with the artists that I work with, um, a lot of the time, um, is real artistic collaboration, you know? So the things that I'm doing right now are very, I'm deeply involved with producing recordings with the artists that I'm with, looking at their repertoire, working on collaborations between different countries, musicians, cultures, instrumentalists, so on and so forth. And being the glue that brings that together. And to tell you the truth, that is the stuff that I enjoy the most. Um, you know, there's a lot of the fact that, you know, artists need someone to look over their contracts, to sign their contracts, to look after their accounts, to make sure that they can pay their bills, to forecast their accounting, you know, to negotiate on their behalf. And there's that business side of things, which, you know, yes, I do that, you know, and that is, and I, I hazard to say that I'm good at it because I've, been doing it for a long time and I don't have any degrees in it, but I can sure read a contract and negotiate it, but it's not the most exciting thing for me. You know, it's the deep collaborate, deep collaborating with the artists and working out release plans. And, you know, before anything is, is printed, pressed, manufactured or produced, I really enjoy that process of collaborating with the artists. That's, that's the bit that I enjoy a lot. 
Now, I do know, because having this experience myself, it's not always a bed of roses when it comes to working with artists. So, especially because of the fact that you have, with a no, number of them, a very long-lasting relationship. I'm sure there has been uh, arguments and disagreements and uh, over the years. Uh, how do you how do you navigate through something like that? If you ha- if there's an argument you're having with an artist, or just navigating through the challenges of of representing artists in general. Um, I mean, directly with the artists, I've you know, inshallah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in general, there there hasn't been a ton of arguments, really. Like, I mean, I think we're pretty. I'm very cautious about working with a new group because I kind of do a couple. I, I do lots of different things in the spheres of which I work, and I manage very few artists. I book very, you know, fewer local artists. Um, I tour artists into Australia, and you know doing that is pretty good because you know when you bring someone when you when you're just running a tour there's a beginning and there's an end you know and then you're like ah oh, let's do this again in a couple of years or you know a year and a half or whatever it is you know there's there's a beginning and an end but with management you know there is no end you know you're in there so like you I'm very careful about the people that I work with primarily that we're on the same page as people um that's probably the most important thing and so i think because of that you know there have been very few arguments when arguments do arise that you know i think you know the main thing that they want that that anyone really wants to feel out of a relationship is that you know you are cared for and that someone's got your back there and you know i think that the way that i negotiate my arguments and look after them when they do arise is just to kind of keep you know like look at what the issue is and find the solution and see what can be done better next time because if you don't do that it's not going to get better and things will dissolve so it's you know i've always been a big fan of like taking it on the chin if you fucks if you um you're good <laughs> something up shall we say you yeah. know so i'm not afraid to say when i when i make a mistake because everyone does it's just that you know when you're an artist manager or you're running a tour and a mistake is made the stakes can be pretty high so you know you have to take it on if you do it if you pass the buck you know too many times i guess you know you would run the risk of people not believing you and really in this biz you're truth and your your reputation your credibility is pretty much everything if 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 your own artists that you manage your clients and your collaborators can't trust your word then you may as well just go into banking or you know real estate or something and stop dealing with people's art i i 100 agree with you so let's uh shift gears for a second here and let's talk about event production because that's something that's you've also done quite a bit with, uh, especially with arts and culture within Australia, which, you know, er, there's so many fantastic things that you've done. Uh, One specific one I would like to talk about is the Graphic Festival. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that came about? Uh, Sure. That's one of my favorite, (laughs) one of my favorite points of discussion. So uh, I'm a reader, uh, avid reader, and I was a reader before I was in love with music, really. Um, and I was reading comic books as my first thing, really, uh, that I was, that I was into. So I've been collecting comic books for a very long time. They take up an entire room. Um, 
And I have a very long lasting relationship with Sydney Opera House. The people there are amazing. The building's iconic. And I feel extremely uh, privileged to have the, the, you know, the, the depth of a relationship and the, the length of relationship that I've had with all of the different people who have been working, programming art in that building. So, um, you know, there was a, a woman by the name of Virginia Hyam um, who started working at the Opera House. She was programming a space called The Studio. We We did tons of work together. I was doing music programs and, you know, we we worked we we work very well together and um you know i do one of the things about running your own business is you might not be too aware of burnout you know but it got to a stage where i was kind of burnout we were having a coffee one day and she's like hey you know we've got nothing coming up like let's do something what do you want to do and i'm like i'm tired i want to go to bed and she's like come on jordan you know <laughs> you're always talking about that comic book artist what's his name jim woodring why don't you tour jim woodring and I'm like, what? Like, it just completely blew my mind. Like, I, you know, I've been touring stuff for a long time. But when she said, why don't you tour Jim Woodring? It really kind of blew my mind. Because it's like, how do you tour a comic book artist? Like, how do you present a comic book? You know, what would you do here in general? And so I was like, wow. And I'm like, hey, thanks. You know, I'm going to go away and think about this. Because it, you know, the fact that the Sydney Opera House was interested in presenting my favorite comic book artist was definitely worth deep consideration. So I went away and, um, you know, I, I did some deep thinking on how this could work. And I got in touch with Jim Woodring and, you know, consulted with a friend of mine called Gabe Clark, who's a arch fiend comic book nerd like myself. We both grew up you know, a couple of blocks from each other, nerded out on comic books together. And I came up with the idea of how to present a stage, uh, how to stage a show honoring Jim Woodring's work, you know? So um, it involved things like spoken word from him, visual art from him. We commissioned three solo artists who are composers to write scores to his comic books, which are all wordless. Um, you know, there was a Q and A, there was, there was a thing, you know? I did a tour. We I did tour him. Like I, I and we did different things in different areas. Um, and it went off and it was just the most fulfilling thing that I'd worked on for, you know, living memory. And I went away from that and was just like, wow, that was just that was a different level of excitement and fulfillment. Like it touched a lot of people. It meant the world to him, you know. And so then he, you know, I Virginia ended up getting a job as the director of contemporary culture at the Sydney Opera House, um, like a, a couple of years later. And during that time, I was like coming up with ideas on how to do it again. I wanted to create a festival, which is based around celebrating uh, the work of, of, of pop culture artists. Originally it was both authors and comic writers and comic illustrators. We were going to go into animation and so on and so forth. But when Virginia got her uh, her job being the director of contemporary culture, she was like, hey, let's really dig into that idea, you know? And so I then worked with her um, and a guy who was then a producer at Sydney Opera House called Ben Marshall, who now basically runs the building. Um, we just, you know, and really the entire 
programming team at the Opera House. Everyone that they choose to work there is usually a pretty cluey individual. But I don't even know who came up with with the name graphic. It wasn't me, you know. But um, but the idea got taken on by Sydney Opera House. I was obviously attached to it because it was my idea, and um, you know, I co-curated it for I think we did five festivals. Um, there are rumblings that it will happen again. It's not dead. Um, and yeah, you know, Virginia ended up moving on and Ben Marshall, who was, you know, it was very funny. We were sitting there, uh, in one of the very first meetings and he made a comment about someone's artwork and I turned around and went, hold on a second, you know, like this guy actually knows what he's talking about. And I went, do you collect comic books? And he's like, well, yes, I do. So that was a match made in heaven, you know, because we get along like a house on fire and we just had a, a really great time over some years. And we, you know, without even intending it to be this, it ended up being an event where for five years, multiple, multiple events every year, everything that happened apart from uh, some very rare occasions everything that was put on stage was created especially for the festival so that was pretty crazy you know from matt graining the creator of the simpsons you know creating you know he even did a little simpsons video for us for his appearance at the opera house you know like the the, the things that we ended up doing were quite phenomenal and you know I do tell this story a couple of times that if Virginia never said, why don't you tour Jim Woodring? I might not be here at this point or that point or whatever, but you know, there are key points in your life, which are little epiphanies and change the course of the way your life might unfold. And, you know, her uttering those words is one of those for me. There's still relationships and things that I'm involved with today that might not have happened had I never discovered the work of Jim Woodring. So all hail Jim Woodring. That's truly amazing. And uh, also, God definitely let me know if uh, if the Graphic Festival may give me an excuse to finally come to uh, Australia, which I've always been wanting to uh, to come and visit at some point in time. So uh, definitely let me know when that happens, because that sounds truly amazing. Also, I know that when it comes to event production, and as you, you know, you've gone through bookings, you've gone through, obviously, you know, touring, you've gone through so many different things. I always like to joke that if if nothing goes wrong then something's wrong when it comes to putting on events because anytime there's always going to be something that's going to happen like it's just naturally it's, it's such a such an organic thing events and there's so many moving parts and pieces that something is going to happen just naturally uh so when those things do happen how how do you you know how do you get how do you go over those hurdles when those when they do happen i mean I mean, the aim is that at every event there's, you know, people are doing it for the right reasons, you know. Um, I think that as long as there's people there that can have that can have it that are skilled, that have a degree of trust in them, um, that people can be a little bit mellow, you know, because sometimes people have a degree of inflexibility about certain things. Um, and when those things pop up, you better make sure that they're nailed because those are the things that will really unravel things. You know, like I've found out some things the hard way that way, you know, but you've just got to hustle your ass off to make sure that they're fixed, you know, and you've got to be there. You know, there's, you know, I have flown all around the world for one gig, you know, I have 
you know, or you've got to have someone there who can take the responsibility and be the guy that argues about turning the air conditioning off because the artist will not perform unless it's dead silent. Or, you know, the guy who's battling about, you know, door, you know, door times or, or whatever it is, you know, you've just got to make sure that you've got, you know, that you've got skilled people there and 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 that when there are those items which are abs that which the artists or the event uh are inflexible about or rely on um that those are that those are pristine and perfect you know like if you're doing something that's audio visual better make sure that you've got the best projector the best screen that you've considered all the light what time of day it is all of that type of stuff if it's an artist that's finicky about sound, then you better make sure that his production people are advancing it well with the venue's production people and that, you know, and that, you know, at the end of the day, I think everyone wants to deliver a good event, you know, the bookers, the artists, the crew on the day, everyone. So, you know, one of the things that I really try to do um, and one of the things I love when the artists I work with are about as well is just trying to embrace the gig or the event where as a, as a kind of a family affair, you know, where it's like, hey, let's not combat each other. Everyone's here to do the same thing. Let's work together to make it awesome, you know, and that comes down to some very basic human skills, which is just like greeting people at the venue being super nice to everyone that you meet because, well, they're humans, you know, showing respect to the guy who's, you know, running cables and the guy who's behind the bar, you know, as well as the people who book and run and own the venue, like treating everyone with respect. Like if you walk in, like you own the place and everyone just has to do your bidding, they're going to be like, screw that dude. You know, like let's just be inflexible because he's a prick. You know, if you walk in there and you're like, Hey guys, you know, so great to meet you. Hey, have a t-shirt, you know, uh, can't wait to get this show happening. You know, like involving everyone as if they all have a equal part in making the event awesome is probably a good idea because the truth of the fact is that that is true the security guards the door staff the bar staff those are the people that the audiences are dealing with you know and if they get properly briefed at the beginning of the night you know and they feel good about things then they're gonna help make a great night for everybody and run a good vibe through the through the venue so you know i think respect and being human is kind of key and yeah just double checking you know, that's the other thing, you know, it's like, yes, things will go wrong. You know, like one of the things that we, that, you know, that I try to do a lot is make sure that someone, whoever it is, you know, um, reaches out to the production contact and sends the day sheet 72 to 48 hours in advance, because I've lost count of how many times I've advanced something with a venue or a festival and then you get there and it's totally different. You know, it's like, oh, the booker didn't pass it on. Yeah, that's happened, you know? So it's like you find the people who are actually going to be there and you run the times past them, make sure they've got the tech specs for the band, make sure that they know that they've got to have four drum risers or whatever it is, make sure the back line 
is all sorted, what time it's going to arrive, where they load in from, will there some, you know, are the times of when the backline's supposed to arrive and the time that the people at the venue are going to be there, are they in sync? Because if not, you've got a big problem, you know? So it's, you know, it's a degree of finickiness and, um, I don't know. There's just a lot of detail, you know, so double checking is another one. So yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a list. You mentioned earlier about there were a few things that you learned the hard way. Would you be willing to share an example of one of those? Um, Sure. I mean, they're not really catastrophic, but you know, one of them is that I work with a Icelandic composer named Olafur Arnolds. He's um, brilliant. Um, first tour I ever did for him, it was summer in Australia. It was hot. He was doing his first ever shows at a venue called The Basement, which is sadly closed. Um, but he was inflexible on the air conditioning. He wanted the air conditioning turned off because it was noisy. And, you know, I was like, whoa like it got to the stage where he was literally stopping you know the concert because of the air conditioning so it's like mm, okay um pianos they're another thing you know so like i work with a group called the necks um who i've toured in australia you know for wow 23 years um, and their pianist is, um, he's very mellow with what type of piano he uses, which is rare. Um, but, you know, there's cer certain certain times when I've booked a piano and they're like, oh, you know, two days out, they're like, piano's not available. You're like, what do you mean? Um, you know, there's nothing really catastrophic, you know, thank God. Like there's there hasn't, because I think that I'm quite driven to... Um, to make sure there are no catastrophes, <laughs> you know? Um, but learning the hard way, it's just things like being on the road with bands and like, you know, arriving at the hotel at 10.30 and you're just exhausted and it's like, oh, reception's closed. Oh, we didn't check that there was 24 hour reception, you know? Then you look like a bit of a dick, you know? So it's that type of stuff where you really only, the figure all of these things out by having done it and learning the hard way when you've got like nine tired Frenchmen behind you going, bed, we're hungover still at 1030 at night. You know, it's like, oh my God, get these guys inside. You know, you've got to, you've got to advance everything, the advance, the advance, you know? That's amazing. Yep. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things where you, you, you don't know until you don't know, right? Is that you, you don't know what you don't know. And these things, you're always going to have these circumstances come up, like you mentioned about the AC being too, too noisy or, you know, about hotels until you're actually into those situations. But that's the thing, right? Is that if you have that perseverance, you will ultimately always find a solution. Oh, yeah. as long as you, a, you a really trying. good manager said something to me once, which is, which was a great thing to remember. He said, look, there's no problems. There's only solutions. And that was such a positive sentence. I'm like, I love that, you know? only solutions so yeah don't draw attention to the problem draw attention to the solution you know later on you can touch on why it happened and dissect it if you need to so that you can ensure that 
you change your work process so it doesn't happen again. Um, but I do feel that everyone makes mistakes and mistakes do happen. And the more you hammer people for their mistakes, the worse they feel, um, the lower their confidence will get. And there's no reason to beat people into submission, especially when they're on your team. So, you know, like looking at it, addressing it, owning up to it, taking responsibility for it and figuring out how to fix it and for it to never happen again. Those are the aims. Absolutely. So to wrap things up here, uh, a couple of questions I always like to ask my guests at the end. So first of all, um, what was the very first concert that you ever went to? Uh, I can't even remember. It was a classical concert in Sydney Town Hall. I I think it was Vivaldi's Four Seasons or something. Um, but quickly after that, it was John Williams conducting um, the Star Wars, you know, orchestra at the the, um, the Hollywood Bowl, um, and then Genesis. That was three. Wow. Those are really good concerts to start off with. Let me tell you, you you set the bar pretty high for yourself. <laughs> so for anybody who's listening to the podcast right now that is interested in either getting into management or event production, and if you have separate answers for that, absolutely go for it. Uh, what would you say is the very first thing you would recommend for them to start? Intern, go and work for free. Um, go and, you know, uh, just learn because, you know, there's a lot of courses out there and it might be good to do a course. Sure. Um, but just helping out and being around shows and managers and production and just nothing can, there's no better experience than doing it. So I think just doing it. And the other thing is supporting it. Like a lot of people who want to get into the music biz, or work in music or, you know, I'm kind of like, what are the last three shows that you bought tickets for? And what are the last three albums you bought? Because if you're not putting into the economy, come on, you know, I think it's important to pay. Absolutely. Totally agree. Well, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, um, can't wait uh, for this episode to come out, but thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to The 8020 Show. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow. If you enjoyed the episode or this podcast overall, please leave us a review or comment on our socials, which you can find us at 8020records on pretty much all platforms. You can also check us out on our website at www.8020records.com. And as always, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.